I shall attempt for a while this morning <clears throat> to communicate with you. Sometime I know that may be difficult in view of all that goes on in this old world. It may be difficult for me to arrest your attention, but I shall try uh, to do just that. And I have asked the help of a blind man in my communication with you this morning, this, uh, this morning. I don't know the man's name, but uh, he is a very prominent man in Jerusalem. And through his eyes, we shall learn what our Savior wants us to know. This man was handicapped from birth. He'd never been able to see. Perhaps things that you and I take for granted, he'd never seen a sunrise. He'd never seen his mother. He was handicapped in that way because there were no provisions made in his society. He sat on the streets in Jerusalem and begged for his living. One day when Jesus was a visitor in that city, he came upon this blind man and restored his sight. An occasion of great rejoicing. For the first time, that man could see. And we're interested not in the miracle, as great as it was. We're interested in the reaction that it produced among his friends. The neighbors of this man. And so I'm going to read to you from the ninth chapter of John, beginning at verse 8, this interesting passage of Scripture. As I read it, you will notice there are three questions in it. Each of them asked about this blind man. The first one they asked among themselves, the other two they asked of him. Now, if you're there at John chapter 9 and verse 8, look carefully at what's said. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, it is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? 
he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? There's that interesting text. The three questions that were asked in that text will serve as three points in my lesson this morning. And so you'll know when point number one is over, we're one-third finished. Here's a man whose life had been wonderfully changed. He's not the same. His life had been changed so much, the people who knew him best debated about whether it was the same man. And so their first question, number one among themselves, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said it's he. Others said he's like him. But he said, I am he. Now I want you to hold on to that for a minute and think with me about this. When a person becomes a Christian, a great blessing comes into that person's life, much like the sight that this blind man received. When a person becomes a Christian, he or she is not the same. There will be a marvelous, wondrous change in that person's life. So much so that it will impress that person's friends and neighbors. And they'll ask a question much like these people in our text ask. I can't believe that's the same person. That person has changed so much since he or she became a Christian, it's unbelievable. Maybe it's not the same person. You remember what Paul said? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's how Paul described a Christian. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. Paul wrote the Galatians and said, In Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. When people become Christians, they become new creatures. Change takes place. And it's an obvious change to those people who live around us. People cannot believe it's the same person that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man 
which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. A new man, a new creature. And so, my friend, if you became a Christian and your life was changed, you arrested the attention of the people who live around you. And that gave someone an opportunity to let their light shine. The Lord uses new creatures to attract the world. We think maybe we've got it figured out and we can hire a firm to do our public relations for us and we can hang banners and we can do all kind of shouting and hollering, but there is no advertising campaign in anywhere all the world that will be more attractive to the world around us than the changed lives of people who are Christians. And so for that reason, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what's supposed to happen. That's how the gospel's supposed to spread. Attractive lives make Jesus attractive to other people. The Bible says that we are lights that shine in the world. The lady who ran a store by the side of a busy road. Her name was Virginia. A gentleman came into her store one day and asked, can I erect a tent on your property and preach the gospel for a few nights? She said, you surely may. The result of that was Virginia became a Christian. Virginia had a sister named Margaret, and Margaret became a Christian through Virginia's influence. Margaret had a son, and that son uh, was named Anderson. Anderson was a boy, but his aunt Virginia's influence was so strong that he became a Christian also. By and by, Anderson got old enough to marry, and he married a woman named Hallie, and Hallie became a Christian. And the influence in her family was so prejudiced against her, from that time until her dying day, they never gave up on her. They continued to harass her for leaving their family religion and becoming a New Testament Christian. But uh, Hallie and Anderson had two daughters. One of them was named Betty, and the other was named Ruth. Betty and Ruth both became Christians. And by and by, as they got older and married, they converted their husbands, and they became Christians. Now, 
Pele had a brother named Otis. And Otis became a Christian. And after a while, he married a woman named Wilma, and Wilma became a Christian. And Otis and Wilma had a daughter named Carolyn, and when she became an adult, she became a Christian. And the man she married became a Christian. And that man had a brother who became a Christian. And Carolyn and her husband had two sons, and both of them grew up to be fine Christians. All because this woman named Virginia let her light shine. That's how the gospel spread. That's how the church grows. And it's still growing as the result of that woman who now rests in her grave. It's still growing because she let her light shine. Is not this he that sat and begged? I can't believe the change that took place. And when you live a Christian life, your life is going to attract the attention of the world also, and someone is going to have the opportunity to let their light shine because of it. Question number two. This question was directed by those same neighbors, but this time it's directed to the man himself. They turned their attention to him, and they said, How were thine eyes opened? You know, he had their attention. They couldn't believe the change that took place. They wanted to know how it happened. How were thine eyes opened? Well, you know what happened. Amazing. The man was able to tell them how it happened. He said, yes, I can tell you exactly what happened. A man called Jesus. Well, he spit on the ground, and he made clay, and he anointed my eyes with it, and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I went and washed, and I received sight. Now, the pool of Siloam was a body of water there inside the city of Jerusalem. It was fed by a spring over in Kidron Valley, out east of the city. The great king Hezekiah had channeled that spring inside the city and created a reservoir for their water supply, and that's where Jesus told this man to go wash. By the way, that spring out there in the valley is where Solomon was crowned king. How were thine eyes open? Yes, I want to tell you how they were open. Now listen to this, Christian friends. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3. He's talking to Christians. When somebody asked you, how did you become a Christian? What are you going to tell them? Well, I'm amazed that this blind man could tell them exactly how he received his sight. This Christian who's attracted the attention of his neighbor, somebody's going to ask, how did you become a Christian? And 
and he may say, there's some tracks down at the church building. Next time I'm over there, I'll get one and bring it to you. That's not worth a flip. Say, you know, our preacher does a good job of sitting down talking to people. I'll get him to come over and knock on your door, and he'll be glad to explain that to you. Some of the men at church go out and explain the Bible to people, and I'll ask one of them to call on you. Mm-mm, that doesn't work. When somebody asks, how did you become a Christian, they expect you to tell them. And if you can't tell them, then you may not really have ever become one yourself. How were thine eyes open? The Bible says in Acts 8 at verse 4, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. These are not just hired preachers. These are all the people of God. Every individual who's obeyed the gospel now can share that news and tell other people how it happened. That's you, my friend. Let me introduce you to a woman named Mary. Marvelous woman. Mary grew up under the influence of her grandmother. And her grandmother was not a member of the Lord's family, but her grandmother always told that granddaughter, the Bible is always right. Stay with what the Bible says. Bless that grandmother's heart. That stuck with that granddaughter. They were members of a denomination. But when this granddaughter became mature in age, she realized that that denomination didn't go by the Bible. And she became dissatisfied with it. And so she quit. By and by she married. Her husband was a Catholic. She joined the Catholic Church with him. But after a short time, she had to tell herself, these people don't go by the Bible either. And she became disheartened. Her husband was a military man, a career military man. They happened to move next door to a family. And the good lady in that family came over one day and said, Mary, I would like for you to attend a ladies' Bible class with me. Mary said, there's no need in that, because I know sooner or later I'll find out y'all don't go by the Bible either. But by persistence, one morning, Mary went with her. And Mary was very much impressed by the fact that all they did was study the Bible. So the lady invited her to come back. She said, no, I'm not coming back because I'll find out sooner or later that y'all don't go by the Bible either. But persistence paid off. And after a while, Mary learned the truth and was engaged in a study of the Bible privately with another individual, and she obeyed the gospel. And her husband obeyed the gospel with her. And those two today 
are missionaries in the Philippines and have been there for years and years. And it all was because somebody said, I want to tell you how to become a Christian. You can do that. And it's your responsibility to do it. The people you know, somebody's going to inquire. They may not ask you, they may ask somebody else, but they're going to ask, how did that person become a Christian? And thank goodness there are people who can tell them. We sometimes sing that little song, Lead Me to Some Soul Today. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find the way. Few there are who seem to care and few there are to, who pray. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today. How were thine eyes open? How did you become a Christian? Tell me how it happened. Yeah, there's the door wide open. There's the opportunity. That's question number two. Now here's question number three. It's shocking. This is human nature at work. People are going to look at you the same way that they looked at this blind man. Is not this he that sat and begged? Can't believe the change. Tell me how it happened. How were thine eyes opened? Question number three. They asked this man, this man born blind, they asked him this question. Where is he? Where is he? Get that. That question is important. I'm impressed by the fact that nobody among this man's friends said, that must have been a marvelous salve that was rubbed on your eyes. My grandmother's old and she's losing her eyesight. Please tell me where I can get some of that salve. Maybe it'll help her too. Are you impressed by the fact that nobody asked about that salve? They didn't. Nobody among this man's friends said, tell me the way to that pool of water. I've got arthritis real bad. My joints ache. Maybe if I can go over to that water and rub some of it on my joints, it'll help me. You, you'd be impressed with the fact that nobody among this man's friends asked about that water. They didn't ask about the salve and they didn't ask about the water. What did they ask? We want to meet the man who's responsible for it. There's a great lesson in that for us, my friend. Your neighbors and friends who are of honest hearts and who are really impressed with the gospel are not so much interested in the fact that you have a nice air-conditioned building. That's not what's on their mind. You know, the gospel spread before we had nice air-conditioned buildings. And those neighbors of yours who are really overcome with the guilt of their sin and who want the gospel are not interested in meeting a preacher. Now, you know, we may go out and find the preacher with the biggest smile and the warmest handshake and the most friendly man in town, 
and we think if we can introduce our neighbors to that preacher, then everything's going to be all right. But those neighbors of yours who are interested in the gospel aren't concerned about being given a tour through a nice building, and they aren't concerned about meeting a preacher with a powerful personality. What are they looking for? They're asking the same question this man's neighbors asked. We want to meet the person who is responsible. Where is he? Now you know what 1 John 2 and verse 3 reads. Before you turn there, I can tell you. That verse says, uh, those who know the Lord do so as the result of obeying his word. If you know him, it's because you live according to his will. Now that may be the reason some of us can't introduce Christ to our neighbors because we don't know him ourselves. A person who never prays, a person who does not attend services, a person who does not work for the Lord, who's just taking up space, is not in a position to introduce Christ to anybody else. 1 John 4 and verse 8 says, uh, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The love of God in a Christian's life helps that person become acquainted with God himself and thereby is qualified to introduce the Lord to somebody else. Moses walked by faith. The Bible says, By faith Moses escaped Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses saw God. And therefore Moses could say, I want my friends to meet the God I know. You and I must be able to introduce Christ to our neighbors. We'll do that only if we know him ourselves. If we spend time in his word, if we spend time in prayer, if we spend time worshiping God, we become better acquainted with him and better able to introduce him. I've talked long enough. You've listened well. I thank the blind man for being with us this morning and helping introduce me to you. If you're not a Christian, you can become one this morning. The Bible teaches that because you believe in Christ as the Son of God, you are now to repent of sin in your life. Turn away from it. Quit the love of it. Renounce the practice of it. And repenting calls on you to confess publicly your faith in him before other people. That's what you'll want to do. And then to be immersed in water, to be baptized, as the New Testament directs, that your sins may be erased from your record, pure, innocent, justified, not a single spot on your record. The Lord has promised to do that for us when we obey his gospel. If you're a Christian who's gone careless, negligent, and you need to come home, you need to repent of sin in your life and ask God's forgiveness and ask the forgiveness of the Lord's people because you've been sinning against the church, then come to do that this morning that we may pray with you and for you. While we sing a song of encouragement, won't you come right now?